0: What is the first thought that pops into your mind when you think about the book of Deuteronomy? Be honest. I I was telling a church officer who shall remain nameless that I was going to start a series on the book of Deuteronomy, and his eyes started to twitch. He kind of rolled back in his head, and he said, Have you ever read that book? Well, I have read that book. And and I know Deuteronomy is not the, the first book in the Bible to to which we rush when we take out our Bibles for Bible reading. I know that it's a book that's perceived to be tedious and full of minutiae about rules and laws. And certainly it does contain a retelling of the law that God gave to his people through Moses on Mount Sinai. But look, the book of Deuteronomy is so much more than that. It's given to the people of God before they enter the promised land, the land where they are to live out their faith, As believers in the one and only true and living God. In the midst of other cultures, in the midst of other nations that did not share their belief. Cultures and nations who had gods of their own, idols of their own to whom they prayed and to whom they gave their worship. But in the land, they will enter they are to be about fulfilling the promise that God made to Abraham way back in Genesis chapter 12. He said, Abraham, I will bless you. I will make you into a great nation. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And so the book of Deuteronomy is God's last word of preparation to his people before they enter the promised land. And that entrance will not be the beginning. It will not be the end. It won't be mission accomplished. As they enter into the promised land, it will be just the beginning. Just the beginning of the life of being the people of God, the nation of God, known among the nations around them. They are God's people. You and I share that same identity, the same identity that the ancient Israelites had through Christ. You and I are known to be God's people on earth, God's people here in Charleston. It's you and it's me. It's Redeemer. Because we have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so with the gospel, you and I as individuals and a church, we are to be about blessing, blessing the land in which God has placed us. And from there, that blessing, from here, that the blessing might radiate to the nations of the world. The truth of this book of Deuteronomy, particularly as we read it in light of the the life and the work of Christ, will enter every part of our lives. It will. It will examine our lives and challenge us to ask questions of ourselves and of our church. How are we living? How are we living in the land? How deep and, and real is my faith? How strong is my trust in the Lord? How authentic is my worship? How evident is my faith in the one and only true and living God to those around me? What am I doing? What are we doing together to be a blessing to the the land, the community in which we dwell? Not only when we gather here on Sunday mornings, but when we scatter to our community groups throughout the course of the week. We'll be challenged by these questions. We must be changed by their answers, along with other questions and answers that we will encounter as we study together this book of Deuteronomy. So if you have your Bible open, I'm going to ask you to stand as we hear read together this morning, uh, the beginnings of this wonderful book of Deuteronomy. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 1, this is the word of the Lord. These are the words Moses spoke to all Israel in the desert east of the Jordan, that is, in the Arabah, opposite Suf, between Paran and Tophel, Laban, Hazaroth, and Dizahab, it takes 11 days to go from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea by Mount Seir Road. In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses proclaimed to the Israelites all that the Lord had commanded him concerning them. And this was after he had defeated Sihon, king of the Amorites, who reigned in the Heshbon, and at Edrei had defeated Og, king of Bashan, who reigned in Ashtaroth. East of the Jordan, in the territory of Moab, Moses began to expound the law, saying, The Lord our God said to us at Horeb, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Break camp and advance into the hill country of the Amorites. Go to all the neighboring peoples in the Arabah, in the mountains, in the western foothills, in the Negev, and along the coast, to the land of the Canaanites and to Lebanon, as far as the great river, the Euphrates. See, I have given you this land. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore he would give to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to their descendants after them. Let's pray together. Father, we ask now that you would bless this reading and hearing of your word. Father, we pray that we would be changed by the truth that your spirit teaches us this morning. So we commit ourselves to you, we open ourselves uh, to you, to be taught by you. And we pray that you would bless us as we come together around your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, why should I listen to you? Why should I listen to you? That is a question we often ask ourselves and we ask other people. Because you and I want the answer to that question before we decide where we are going to invest our time. You know, we are credential people. We're not going to give up a whole weekend. We're not going to spend money to go to a conference, for instance, just to listen to anyone speak. Are you a best-selling author? I'll listen to you. Have you risen to the very top of your field or your profession? I'll listen to you. Do you have stories to tell me of tremendous success to prove that you know what you're talking about? Then I'll listen to you. We listen to people that we believe have important things to say. Well, Moses, the author of Deuteronomy, has something important to say. This book, at which we'll be looking over the course of the next weeks and months, contains the last God-inspired words of this remarkable man who has come to the very end of his 120-year life. Really, the book of Deuteronomy is a series of sermons that Moses preached inspired by the Spirit of God and informed by a lifetime, a lifetime of shared experiences between Moses and God. Scripture says this, The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. The Lord said this of Moses, When a prophet of the Lord is among you, I reveal myself to him in visions, I speak to him in dreams, But this is not true of my servant Moses. With him I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. This is the relationship that Moses had with the Lord. We should listen with rapt attention, not with twitching eye, to every word that Moses has to say. What does he have to say to us? You see, Moses serves as our mediator. Moses stands between God and God's people. And through Moses, we get a picture of what the heart of God is like. He is a God who wants to interact with his people. That's what God wants. Through Moses, we get to see the character of God. Why we must have a mediator. You see, God is a holy God. You know that. People are not holy. You know that. People, in fact, are sinful. And God had already told his friend Moses the story of Adam and Eve, and Moses wrote it down for all of us. The book of Genesis. They disobeyed God. They did what God had told them not to do, and in that moment, Adam and Eve swung open the door to sin and said, Come on in. Come on into this beautiful, very, very, very good world that God has created. And sin accepted the invitation came right in and tracked its filth and its dirt over every part of creation. Tracked its dirt and filth in every human heart, including your heart and my heart, so that sinful people were no longer able to just barge into the presence of a God who is so holy, not without a mediator, not without someone to stand between them and God, and in all of humanity at this time, God chose Moses to be that mediator. God chose Moses to stand between him and his people. The greatest need of humanity, listen, the greatest need of humanity has always been for someone to stand between us, sinful people, and a holy, perfect, glorious, good, majestic, great, Gracious God. The beauty of the story of Moses is that he shows us that what we have always needed, God has been so faithful to provide. A mediator. But Moses wasn't perfect. Moses too was a sinful man. And because of Moses' sin, he stands on the east side of the Jordan River and he looks across the Jordan River into the promised land. But Moses will never go there. Moses will never dwell there. He'll only be able to see it from afar. Because of his own sin, he's not allowed to live in the promised land. And so, as wonderful as Moses is, even though Moses is a friend of God, Moses is still a a, a sinful human. And so, Moses could never be the perfect mediator that we need so much, right? That's what we need so much a perfect mediator. And so, humanity waits, and humanity watches as one mediator after another stands between a holy God and sinful people. We wait and we watch as that mediator makes sacrifices for his own sin first and then for the sins of others. And not once, because one sacrifice is not enough. Over and over and over, sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice made for the sin of the mediator, made for the sin of the people. And so how ready is a weary world, weary from sin, weary from performing over and over and over continual sacrifice to atone for our sin. How ready the world is for a perfect mediator. How ready the world is for Jesus. How ready we are for him to do perfectly. And forever what sinful men, even Moses, were never able to do completely or perfectly. How ready we are for God through Christ. Are you ready to set us free from slavery? The slavery of sin perfectly and completely and forever, just as Moses led the people out of the slavery of Egypt. How ready we are for God through Christ to deliver us from the power of sin that seeks to treat us cruelly and to oppress our lives and to destroy us, just as God's people experience in the slavery in Egypt. How ready we are for Jesus to be the true and final mediator that stands between us and God. And how ready we are to be able to come into the presence of God without fear because we come through Jesus. 1 Timothy 2 5 For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. And so you and I come and we listen to the words of Moses. Being a friend of God, he's got great credentials. And he points us to the person of Christ. A man like Moses commands heaven and earth because he knows he's speaking the words of God. Would you turn with me to the end of Deuteronomy, to chapter 32? Flip over to almost the very end of the book of Deuteronomy. Chapter 32, verse 1. And this is Moses speaking. Listen, O heavens, and I will speak. Hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. See, heaven and earth. Here's Moses between, commanding the attention of both. Let my teaching fall like rain. And my words descend like dew, like showers on new grass, like abundant rain on tender plants. I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Oh, praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock. His works are perfect and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. Are these Reasons for us to listen to to the word of the Lord, they're like rain, they're like dew, which gives life in an arid place like the Middle East. These words are like rain for our souls, like dew to refresh us. We are that tender plant and God gives us his word and from it we grow and not only do we grow, but we flourish and that's our goal, isn't it? Don't we want to flourish here as God's people in the land in which he has placed us? Don't we want to be a blessing to the people around us as we dwell in the land in which God has placed us. Yes, and so we come with eager hearts to the word of God, to to, to have the word reign on us and refresh us and renew us and give us life. And so let's begin now to look at some of the verses in Deuteronomy. Go back to chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. And I'm not going to read all these place names again. But it says there that these are the words that Moses spoke to all of Israel in the desert east of the Jordan. And then it gives us very specific details about exactly where these people of God were. Sometimes we wonder if geographical places can be inspired. These are the verses that we skip over. Blah, 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 blah. Nobody wants to read them. We can't even pronounce them. I I didn't do too badly, I don't think. But, But listen, this place that's described in verses 1 through 5, is perhaps the most important teaching aid of the whole day, as Moses stands up to teach these people. The place from where Moses speaks makes the words he speaks more meaningful. It's, It's like you and I as Americans hearing the Declaration of Independence read from Independence Hall in Philadelphia. Because the place where these people are is right on the edge of the promised land. And these people have been in this place 40 years before, standing on the edge of the promised land. And so they cannot be in this place on the edge of the promised land. They cannot look over into the promised land without remembering what happened 40 years before. They can't be there and not remember their sin and rebellion. They cannot be there and not remember that God said, Go, I am giving you this land, but they refused to go. They were terrified to go in a little town called Kadesh Barnea in the southern part of the uh, the Promised Land. They rebelled against God. They sent out 12 spies to see what the Promised Land was like. And the spies came back and 10 of them gave a, a terrible report. And you know that story. In fact, they might have embellished the story to make it sound even worse because they were afraid to go and they wanted everybody else to be afraid to go because they didn't believe that God could deliver on his promises. How could God? How could God defeat the giants that they saw living in the land? And so they decided, you know this promised land thing? No, not such a good idea after all. And most of the people agreed. And they refused to move in and take possession of the land that God had promised them the land where God wanted them to dwell among the nations. From that land, the blessings of God were to flow to all the nations of the earth from that place. But the Israelites said, no, not this place. can't be this place. God, you've made a mistake. The roadblocks here are too great. And so they refused to trust and obey God. And for their rebellion, they wandered in the desert for 40 years. But now they're back again. Here they are, standing at the edge of the promised land. What does that say about the character of God? And what can these people learn standing in this place at this time that will help them be the people that God intends them to be when they move in and take possession of the land where they are to live as God's people? What does it teach them? It teaches them that God does not give up on his people. God does not give up on his people. God is a God of second opportunities. That's who God is. He doesn't give up. You know, we as good Presbyterians like to talk about the perseverance of the saints. That you and I, we're going to make it to the end. We're going to make it to the promised land, but it's more the perseverance of God. We make it to the promised land because God does not give up on us. The Westminster Confession of Faith says this, They whom God has accepted in His Beloved, that's us, believers in Christ, effectually called and sanctified by His Spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved. Good news? This perseverance of the saints depends not upon their own free will. It's not what we do. But upon the immutability of the decree of election, flowing from the free and unchangeable love of God the Father, upon the efficacy of the merit and intercession of Jesus Christ, the abiding of the Spirit and of the seed of God within them, and the nature of the covenant grace from all which arises also the certainty and infallibility thereof, we will make it to the end because... Of God, And you and I have to believe this about God. That God doesn't give up. You have to believe it for yourself or you will give up on yourself. Because you will wrongly believe that God has given up on you. You can't do that. We have got to keep coming back to God over and over and over again. Knowing that his love is unchanging knowing that Jesus himself is interceding, praying for us continually at the right hand of God the Father. We cannot believe ever that we have gone too far to be brought back. God doesn't give up. Don't believe that you've used up God's grace or God's patience with you. This story is indication that that doesn't happen. God has an unending supply of grace and mercy that he lavishes on us. You have to believe this for others as well. This is how we must live in this land planted here at 43 Wentworth Street. We have to live from this place as people who know that God doesn't give up, as we live among people who believe differently than we believe, as we live among people who oppose what we believe, as we live among people who attack what we believe, as we live among people who live different lives than we live, lives that sometimes disgust us. We do not give up on them. We are never allowed to wash our hands of them and say, I'm done, not yet. Not while they are alive and God can still work. We live in the land by faith, believing that God doesn't give up. And when we do this, the city, the land around us will be blessed. They'll be blessed because you and I persist. Because we persist and our love for them, our pursuing of them, and we persist in the hope we have in the power of our mighty God to work in their lives and to change hearts. God doesn't give up. And then secondly, And finally, we live in the land as people who can be prepared. We can be prepared. Here in this plain of Moab, Moses gathers the people uh, uh, of Israel together and he speaks to them the word of God. We read that in verse 1 and verse 5. Moses spoke to all of Israel and he expounded the law of God. And so we can never become callous to the fact that the God of the universe speaks to us. And sometimes we do, yeah, 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 yeah. I've heard that before. No, God The God of the universe communicates with, speaks with you and me through his word and by the power of his spirit. And his timing is always perfect. A word given in season. And you know that. You've experienced times when God has taught you something and the next day you needed that truth. And God did that for you. Well, the people gather just across the Jordan River, just across from the Promised Land, And God speaks to them through Moses before they go into the land. And so you and I need to acknowledge this morning how good it is of God to prepare his people before they enter the land. Because this too is part of the character of God. Listen, our God is not capricious. He's not uh, unpredictable. He's not impulsive. He's not. God isn't always jerking us around just for the fun of it. It's not that He doesn't want us to know what to expect. God wants His people to be prepared. So God has ordered this amazing universe for us, even the seasons He's given to us. Think how good God is in that. You woke up this morning with no fear that it would be 10 below zero this morning. And you know that it's not going to be 10 below tomorrow. No, God has given us the seasons. He's ordered orderly universe that, that he has given to us. God likes us to be prepared. The Old Testament is preparation for the New Testament. God says that before he sends the Messiah, he will send a messenger to prepare the way, and he did. He sent John the Baptist. Jesus says before he goes back to heaven, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Jesus, even now, preparing for us. It's what God does for us. Paul reminds us in Ephesians chapter 4 that God has given some to be apostles and some to be prophets and some to be evangelists and some to be pastors and teachers. Why? To prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. God wants His people, you and me included, to be prepared. See, the Israelites had grown accustomed during the last 40 years of wandering wandering in the desert to, to, to be nomads, a group unto themselves, either all alone in the wilderness or on the very fringe of society. But God is about to change all of that. God's going to plant them a land in a land of their very own. They will wander no more. And again, they'll be surrounded by other nations who don't think like they think or act like they act. And they'll be faced with obstacle after obstacle and challenge after challenge and taking possession of the land. And so God speaks to them, prepares them before stuff happens so that they will know what to do when stuff happens. And so the words of Deuteronomy are for those people and for us, words that develop our spiritual muscle memory. You know, muscle memory is amazing, the way it works in our bodies. It's what allows us to get on the bike and ride it you know we just know what to do when we get on the bike it's what military training is for soldiers drill over and over and over and over again on how to use their weapon so that in the moment of crisis or impending death they don't have to think about it they just act muscle memory it's what helps the quarterback snap off that perfect pass when he's being rushed by big guys who just want to sack him and crush him you know take him down that quarterback Practiced and prepared ahead of time so that in the moment of crisis, when the impending crushing is coming, rah, you know he knows what to do without even thinking. So listen, it's what we do before the crush. It's what we do before the crisis is on us that prepares us for the moment when life does set upon us so that we don't even have to think. If we've trained our spiritual muscles, if we fed them, with God's Word, if we've driven that Word deep into our hearts by prayer and by the power of the Spirit, when the moment of crisis comes, when the moment of crushing comes, we won't be lost. We won't be full of fear. We won't say, what must I do? So before you are challenged by people who don't share your beliefs, your values, your God, God has given you what you need to be prepared for those moments. And so well-worn should be our path to God's truth that going to that place is just the natural reflex of our hearts and our minds. Deuteronomy is almost like God saying to us, let me help you now before you don't have time to think, before you're surrounded by unbelief, before you have to face it. I'll tell you the truth and you learn it. And you learn it so well that it is spiritual muscle memory. The question we have to ask ourselves is what are we doing? What are we doing with the resources with which God has blessed us to prepare us to live in the land? Because make no mistake about it, if you've not trained your spiritual muscle memory, you may not know what to do. You may not know what to say or think when the moment of crisis or confrontation comes, and you may fall before your foe. If you don't know the truth of the Word of God, how will you defend it? If you don't know the person of the Lord Jesus Christ as you experience Him through the Word, how will you speak of Him? If you don't know how it is that God wants you to live, how will you keep from being dragged away by other lifestyles? by other behaviors that aren't consistent with those who wear the name of Christ. If you're not being daily connected to your source of power, remember Jesus said, He's the vine, we are the branches. If we're not daily connected to His power, how will we know that we can even call on that power in the moment that we need it the most? We won't. It's got to become part of our spiritual muscle memory, part of our natural reflexes. To look to Jesus. When something happens in your life, your spiritual eye muscles, they go. They look to Jesus. They look to the truth of his word. When you need deliverance for yourself or others, you look to Jesus. When you don't know which way to go. You know, your feet automatically walk in the steps of Jesus because he's already prepared the way in which you should walk. Before you have to walk it, just follow him. See, the good news for us this morning is that we live as free people in this land. We live as people who have been set free from slavery, released, pardoned, forgiven from sins. All those chains have fallen off. We have been set free. And as free people, free people. God wants us to to dwell in this place, to be a blessing. So we listen to the truth of these words. And we keep coming back for ourselves and our others to the the truth of these words because we know that God never gives up on us and we prepare ourselves with every resource that God gives us to dwell in this land well. So the question for us, I guess, is is do we want to do that? Do we want to dwell in this land as a blessing to God and a blessing to others? Let's pray together. Father, do ask that the answer to that question would be yes, that the desire of our heart is to be thankful to you for the land in which you have placed us, to be thankful to you that that you have brought us to this place in the heart of the city of Charleston, and that you have brought us here for a reason. And I pray, Lord, that it would be the desire of our heart to use this place uh, as a source of blessing for this city. Father, I pray that we would live here in a way that is beyond... Uh, and and above reproach, that as we wear your name, Christ ones, that we would bring honor and glory to you by the way we think and act. Father, I pray that it would be the desire of our heart that this city would be blessed through us. We know it's a reality, Lord, that we dwell among people who don't share our beliefs. Lord, we know as well that we, we believe in the one and only true and living God. You are God and there is no other. And so I pray, Lord, that we would humbly and yet boldly uh, live out that truth and that belief uh, here in the city of Charleston. Pray, Lord, that as we take the gospel to this city, as we persist in our love for it, as we persist in our desire to see lies, and the city transformed as we persist in our hope and trust in you and your power to do miraculous things in the lives of people. I pray that as we cling to that, that you would work in us and through us, and that we would be a blessing. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.